Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, let's go back to Acts chapter 15 where we were reading just a moment ago. And uh, for 14 chapters now in the book of Acts, it has, I hope it's become clear that both by edict, by command, and by example, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, saved, born-again Christians, we are to be actively involved in the Great Commission. We are to be making disciples. Um, That is God's desire. That is what God wants us to be doing. And that is also Satan's defeat. And so that is what the devil does not want us to be doing. Uh, To discourage us from being involved in the continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. To, To detract from you and I being involved in the Great Commission, the devil uses all sorts of means. We've seen some of his playbook already in these past 14 chapters um, so far in the book of Acts, Satan has tried to crush the church's great commission involvement through persecution. And um, there were Christians who were killed for their testimony of faith in Christ. Satan has also, he's tried to use division. Um, if you remember about four or five chapters ago, the devil was hoping that Peter's racism, I, I really don't like that word, uh, we're all well, one race, human race. Um, Peter's ethnic partiality, his bigotry toward the Gentiles, the devil was hoping that that would halt uh, the spread of the gospel to all nations. And to this point, neither of those two attempts by the devil really had any impact. I mean, the church is growing. We just saw four or five churches planted as Paul went into Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby uh, on that first mission trip. In our passage today, we see the devil go with a new tactic to impede the church's disciple-making. Here, Satan, through some individuals in the church, uh, he tries to use heresy, tries to use false doctrine to bring the rapid spread of the gospel to a screeching halt. Uh, We read this passage earlier before we study it. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we come to you you right now in prayer, uh, and as we come to your word to see what it is you want us to learn in these 31 verses. Um, We come with hearts that are uh, desperate in need of the Holy Spirit's ministry of illumination. We we would never be able to understand this if we had no spiritual discerning, but we are promised um, that those of us who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior can understand what it is you've told us in your life-giving and life-transforming word. And so as we come to these verses here that you have given to us, I pray that we would embrace these as a gift and and that we would uh, see a model here for how we are to deal uh, with this particular threat uh, of uh, heresy, a false doctrine, should it ever uh, come our way. God, I pray that we would uh, do just what Peter and Paul and Barnabas and and James do. I pray that uh, this church would always be just like the church in Antioch um, that was so uh, concerned, um, so uh, extremely 
uh, just saw that the truth was so important, God, that they went to these lengths in order to make sure that deceit um, didn't win. And God, I pray that that would be true in each one of our own lives and then together as a church that we might fulfill the great commission you've given us and live for you each day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in the, in the first two verses here of chapter 15, we learn of that new threat that was presented um, and, and that this false teaching that was going on, it was a dangerous defection. Verse 1 informs us that certain men from uh, the church in Antioch uh, they, they had, the church in Antioch had received certain men. They came up there to teach. And these certain men from Judea taught the Christians in the church that except you be circumcised after the man, manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Is that a problem? Yeah. Um, that's a dangerous defection from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It goes completely against what God's word says about how we are saved. As Pastor Daniel said in his prayer, we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? That's how we're saved. Uh, God tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And the word of God to us in Titus 3, 5 and 6 promises us this about salvation, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. These certain men, in verse 1, from Judea who came to the church at Antioch and who taught this, they were contradicting God's word. They were defecting from what Jesus Christ himself taught about how a person is to be saved. This is no gray area or personal conviction type of dilemma here. This is a dangerous defection from the gospel, and it goes to the core of how someone is saved, and what it means to be saved. If you get this wrong, salvation is at stake. That's pretty serious, isn't it? In Galatians 1, God has Paul write a letter to the churches that we've read about him planting on that first missions trip. Um, and while this account here in Acts 15, it's the first instance of this dangerous defection threatening the church and the gospel, uh, the Great Commission involvement, um, it wasn't the last. That's why Paul wrote Galatians. This teaching, this false teaching, eventually it infiltrated all those churches in Galatia, in Antioch and Iconium and Derby and Lystra. This false doctrine, this heresy of our works, our works contributing to our salvation in any way, um, it, is, it is around us today. It is. Um, there are churches right now, this morning, who profess Jesus Christ as Savior and, and who profess to savor the gospel and share the gospel, who, who are at this moment or will in an hour or two be sharing this dangerous doctrine. That's why God has Paul saying, Galatians 1, 6, I marvel. <laughs> Paul was shocked. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another Meaning it's not the gospel. And God says in Galatians 1.8 that if anyone dare to preach such a dangerous defection, let him be cursed by God. I hope you got that. This isn't something that's up for discussion. If we teach or if we even believe any other gospel, one that teaches that our works somehow contribute to our salvation, that they're a cause of it rather than an effect of our salvation, then we have not believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are not saved. It's that serious. 
So let's look at the response of the church in Antioch according to verse 2 now. It says that there was this discerning dissension there. Verse 2 says that when they realized, when the leaders of this church realized what these certain men were teaching, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. Well, of course they did. You think Paul knew about grace? Oh, yeah. They recognized how dangerous this defection from gospel truth was. These two leaders in the church, and I believe the church as a whole in Antioch, they immediately recognized what these certain men were teaching, that it was heresy. And I want you to key in on this. So important. Um, let me share a quote with you from Pastor Vody Bauckham. He said, if we do not know the Bible, if we don't know theology, then it is virtually impossible for us to ever identify false prophets. Listen, church, I imagine I say this about every week. Um, and I'm sure Pastor Daniel does too. That's a big youth ministry thing, right? Read your Bible and pray more. Um, do you know how essential it is that you are biblically literate? That um, you are in God's word on a consistent basis, not, not just here on Sunday morning. Um, that, that you seize every opportunity you have to become proficient in the truth of God's word so that you can recognize, like this church did here, you can recognize when a dangerous defection comes your way. When it comes across your social media feed, it's there. Trust me, it's there. <laughs> um, when it comes on across the airwaves of your TV or on some podcast, God forbid, even if it would come here in our church. Could that happen? It happened in the church in Antioch <laughs> that we're reading about right here. Uh, this church does something incredibly wise and discerning, um, they decide to send Paul and Barnabas and some other church members along with them to Jerusalem to ask the church leaders there at the mother church, at the place where the church of Jesus Christ began, to ask them about this question. Now, I've read this passage many times in my life. I've probably heard it preached a couple of times. I don't know why, but for some reason, I always took it that Paul and Barnabas and this contingent from the church in Antioch, they were sent down there to Jerusalem to see if these things were true. Like, is this really what God's word says, that we're saved? Uh, we have to be circumcised to be saved. We have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. I don't know why I thought that, but in studying this over the past couple of weeks, I don't believe that's what's going on at all and why they were sent down there. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, and I would say most if not all of the church in Antioch, they knew, they knew that this was not true. They knew this was a dangerous defection. I believe that they were sent, the reason they were sent is the church in Antioch wanted to know if this small group of certain men that had come up there to teach us heresy, were they representative of the church in Jerusalem as a whole? You understand what I'm saying? They went because the church in Antioch wanted to know, is this the confession of faith? Is this the doctrinal statement of the church in Jerusalem? And if it was, this was going to be a much bigger problem and would likely result in some form of separation or division, and rightly so. Um, that great 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon, he once said, to pursue unity at the expense of truth, that is treason to the Lord Jesus Christ. A defection from the truth of the gospel, it is serious enough that unity cannot continue. And division must happen. There can't be unity when such a core and necessary doctrine is assaulted like it is here. Amen? Not if we're going to glorify the Lord. Not if we're going to magnify his grace. And so we see this new threat confronted in the main section here in verses 3 to 23. Um, in verses 3 and 4, it describes the delegation from the church in Antioch. Uh, their journey to Jerusalem, they stopped at different churches on the way down there reporting all that had got had done um, on that first mission trip. But it's at the end of verse 4 and on into verse 5, they arrived to the main church in Jerusalem and the pervasiveness 
of this dangerous defection is shown to us. Um, it wasn't just certain men from Judea who believed and taught that following the law of Moses is necessary for salvation. Verse 5 says that there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed. These are former Pharisees who, who had gotten saved. They professed to know Jesus as Savior, and they were now saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Who, who is this them? The Gentiles who had gotten saved. That's what they incorrectly believed. These Pharisees who had trusted Christ as Savior, they were beginning to add to the gospel, add works in a place that doesn't belong. Not the whole church in Jerusalem. That's going to become clear in a moment. But this dangerous defection from gospel truth, it was way more pervasive than it first appeared in the church in Antioch. Verse 6 tells us that the apostles, uh, church leaders in the church at Jerusalem, they came together for to consider this matter because this new threat needed to be confronted and this problem solved. But we learn in verse 7 that after much disputing, it says, um, and the Greek word is zetasis, it means debate. I mean, it wasn't angry fights going on in there. I don't think there was, uh, people went to hands or anything. Uh, that might have happened. It has happened before. <laughs> but it was debate. After much debate, Peter is the first leader to speak to solve this problem and correct this false doctrine. And what is Peter's message? In verses 7 through 9, Peter speaks from his own experience. Because it was just a few chapters back that God had corrected the bigotry, um, the partiality that Peter had in his heart toward the Gentiles. And Peter saw Cornelius and other Gentiles trust in Jesus as Savior. Peter personally witnessed the Holy Spirit come and indwell them just as the Spirit had the Jewish Christians back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Cornelius and those other Gentiles, they were not circumcised first. They did not convert to Judaism first. They simply trusted in who Jesus is and what he had done for them, and they were saved. That's Peter's message. Peter says in verse 9, God put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts. How? What does it say there in verse 9? By faith. Not by works. Purifying their hearts by faith. And then Peter boldly states in verse 10, what trying to add works as a cause of our salvation, what it truly is. It is tempting God. I don't want to do that. It's putting a yoke on the neck of, of these new Christians, which neither Peter nor any other Jew was ever able to bear. Now, please notice verse 11. Something minor here, but it's really powerful. Uh, the way Peter states his concluding remarks in verse 11, it's so important. He says, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not works, just grace, just faith in God's grace to us in Jesus. We believe we shall be saved even as they. Did you get that? Uh, this is a testimony of the transforming work of God's grace and the Holy Spirit that has worked in Peter's life because it would be understandable for Peter and for everything that's being disputed here, it'd be understandable if Peter said, well, yeah, they will be saved even as we are. But that's not what God inspires Peter to say right here, is it? No, he says, we shall be saved even as they. That's not minor semantics. That's not just a simple phrase switch. That is intentional. Peter is saying, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're the same. And we're saved the same way. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. And look what happens after Peter's testimony. Verse 12 says, then all of the multitude kept silence. 
Well, truth will do that. The disputing's quieted down when met with the clear gospel, and now it's Barnabas and Paul's turn to speak. The end of verse 12 says that they declared to this assembly what miracles and what wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them, and God did. Just think back over what we talked about over the last few weeks as they went on that first mission trip. The people who were healed, their lives transformed. People who had gotten saved. Churches planted in Cyprus and Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby. Paul being stoned, being resurrected, and then going right back to those cities. Thousands were saved to a lead untold million. Really, you and I are here because of that. I mean, I know none of us are from Turkey, but the gospel went from Turkey to what you most of you are Scotch-Irish, right? That's how it made it there, right? The gospel is spreading here, there, and everywhere. And then beginning in verse 13, there's one more speaker. It's James, Jesus' half-brother. You know, he hadn't believed in Christ while Jesus ministered here on this earth before his crucifixion. But after the resurrection, James became a Christian. You know, seeing someone rise from the dead, it'll have that effect on a fellow, won't it? And he's probably the predominant leader in the church at Jerusalem. So finally, James, the third one, he stands up. And while Peter and Paul and Barnabas, they testified of their experience with God saving the Gentiles by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, James, he takes a different track. He goes to God's word to solve this dilemma. That's always a sound path to take. And James, in verses 15 through 18, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Amos. He tells all those in this assembly that that what God had prophesied through Amos, it was happening in all of this. The Gentiles being saved and not needing to convert to Judaism first or be circumcised first or follow the law of Moses. The Gentiles being saved by God's grace alone, not by any works of their own. That's what Amos is talking about in Amos 9, 11, and 12. That's quoted there in verses 15 to 18. And uh, that Jesus Christ, he is the forever heir to King David's eternal throne. That's what verse 16 is talking about. In verse 17, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. That that was being fulfilled right before their eyes as the gospel left Jerusalem for the here, there, and everywhere. And then James in verse 19, he settles the matter. The testimony of the leaders, the testimony of God's word is clear. This problem is solved. And James says, wherefore my sentences, here's the decision of the church, that we trouble, literally annoy, that we don't annoy these Gentiles any longer that have turned to God. James concludes, from what we have experienced, from the clear truth of God's word, no, they don't need to be circumcised. No, they don't need to follow Old Testament ceremonial law. No, works do not play a role in our salvation as a cause. And whether it is Jew or Gentile, our hearts are purified one way and one way only. What did verse 9 say? By faith. Yeah, by faith. Faith in God's grace. So where do works fit in? And, and Ray, can you throw up this slide here? And I'm sorry to bring algebra in here. I hated algebra and I'm terrible at it. But this one's easy. If I can understand, anybody can. Because this is what Scripture teaches. Uh, and that's not divided. We just wanted it big. All right. So that's not a divided sign there. Faith equals salvation plus works. That's what God's Word teaches. How are you saved? By God's grace through faith in God's grace. And where do works come in? After the equal sign, Right? After you're saved. Yeah, they're on that side. This is so important that we understand this. Don't move stuff around. (laughs) That's what this passage is telling us. That's what these certain men were doing who went up to Antioch, causing all this trouble. That's what people all around us do today in 
professing Christian denominations when they talk about losing your salvation whenever you sin. They put works where it does not belong. It belongs over there. Don't move it. Don't do that. Don't move it over here on the top, on the other side of that equal sign next to faith. Don't do that. That's legalism. It will not save you. Don't throw works out completely. There's a lot of people who do that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a messed up view of Christian liberty, thinking that God's grace gives you a license to sin. Don't do that. Keep everything right where God puts it. And then can you throw the next slide up? And you guys know this first. Well, I quoted the first two. For by grace, you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then we often forget verse 10. Because this is where it talks about works. It says not of works, but here he tells you where the works belong, right? For we, we who have trusted in God's grace to us, we who have been saved, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. After we're saved, which God hath before ordained that we should. That was his intent. That we do works because we've been saved. You see where God puts works? Well, leave it there. With, with joy. <laughs> leave it there. And then do those works there. On, on that side of the cross. Not to be saved. But because you have been saved. Alright guys, thank you. And before we move on to the last section... We have to address verses 20 and 21. <laughs> and that's because James continues to say something here that might seem contradictory to what he just said in verse 19. Uh, he's already said, based on God's word, that following the Old Testament law, that doing good works, they are never a cause of our salvation. But then he says this in verse 20 and 21. But that we write unto them, these Gentiles, that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Let me tell you what James is not saying here first. James is not uh, contradicting himself. He's not saying here that abstaining from food that was offered to idols, uh, that abstaining from fornication, let me explain that in just a moment, from things strangled, from things, um, for, from eating blood. James is not saying that that is necessary to be saved. He's not even saying that Christians need to do those things as an effect or a result of being saved by God's grace through faith. What James is trying to teach this crowd, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, and us here this morning, is what God has the Apostle Paul so often tried to teach us in Romans and in 1 Corinthians about Christian love and something called the principle of deference that helps Christian love occur. Uh, all of the things that James is talking about there in verse 20, they come directly from Leviticus chapter 17 and 18. E even the fornication part. This is not talking about um, sexual immorality. Um, that's clearly in the New Testament. That's not something that should be a part of a Christian's life after they have trusted in Christ as Savior. Um, from Leviticus 17 and 18, fornication was talking about uh, the Old Testament law prohibiting close marriages between close relatives. That's something that God's word prohibited for the Jewish people. That was not something that was not uncommon in the pagan Gentile world. There were cousins or even closer relatives who would marry. And James is saying here that they shouldn't be doing that as, as Christians. He's going to tell us why. Um, all of these other things, abstaining from food that had been offered to idols. Even Paul says that that is not a sin in and of itself. 
in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. It's not a sin to eat food that had been offered to idols. Typically, you get it at a great discount. It's wise money stewardship. In and of itself, it's not a sin. Unless, that's what Paul says in Romans and 1 Corinthians, unless it causes an offense to another believer. Now something that was not a sin all of a sudden becomes a sin. And I hope you can understand what God is having James do here. It's the same thing. These Gentile believers, they were not bound by Old Testament ceremonial law. They did not need to be circumcised. They did not even need to do these things in verse 20 in order to be saved. They did not even need to do them after being saved. What he's trying to teach them here is that you're not bound by Old Testament ceremonial law, but now that you are saved, you are bound by the law of love. You're bound by the law of love. And what James is teaching here is that that law means do not unnecessarily antagonize your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ with your liberty in Christ. It's hard to pick an application, all right? And so this is the closest one I can have. This is not the only one. There's a billion of them. So as I'm giving you this one, you can apply it in other different ways. But let me just give you like one right now application that I've noticed here. I, I do not drink alcohol. Um, and I do not believe the Bible says it is a sin to do so. I know the Bible says it's stupid. It says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is a fool. I know that God's word says it's a sin to be drunk. I also know there's only one way you get drunk. <laughs> All right. But, but as far as God's word saying it is a sin to drink, I cannot find that. If you can, I'm more than willing to change my opinion. Um, But I can't find that. But (laughs) what I see too frequently, and I'm not talking about anybody here at all. There's nobody in my mind. I just see it. Um, Because we live our lives out in front of everyone. What I do see all too frequently is Christians who, who know they are free in Christ to do so, to drink. And they also know that they have brothers and sisters in Christ who are offended by such and who seem not to care. And like, here's just another example. They'll post a pic on social media, and that can of beer, it's gotta be like in the center of the picture. Make sure you got the brand to the front. I mean, that's just one example. The primary object highlighted. No regard <laughs> for a brother or sister in Christ who that might cause harm to. And look, that's not living by the law of love. That's the kind of things James is talking about here in verses 20 and 21. Just like Paul talks about in Romans 14 and 15 and 1 Corinthians 8, James is teaching us here, you need to be like Christ. Yes, you may have the right, you might have the freedom, the liberty in Christ to do this or to do that, but you need to be very careful. This is a direct quote from 1 Corinthians 8. Be careful that the exercise of your rights never becomes a stumbling block for the weak. Don't destroy by your liberty Someone for whom Jesus Christ died. That's a biblical principle of deference. And there's so many other applications. In in love, I defer my rights. Be careful. Be discreet. Be loving. Be Christ-like. All right, verses 22 and 23. It tells us that this consensus, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. And isn't that awesome? Because what was intended by Satan to divide the church, it ended up bringing the church to unity. And hey, that's what happens when we will all rely on God's word and not opinions. 
This council sends Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch with some representatives to testify of this decision. They also send a letter so that these guys have it in writing. And the new threat is defeated. It was defeated by the communication of, of truth. Verses in 24 to, to 29, they are just that. They are the letter that was written and to be sent to that church. A restatement of the decision that had been reached. The church in Antioch, they receive a confirmation of truth. They're informed that no, the, the mother church in Jerusalem, they do not hold to that dangerous defection that those certain men came up there and taught you. Did you know that there is nothing that's more important to defeat what is false than the truth? Man, you have to have the truth. And where can you and I find and be assured of truth? Yeah. Thank you, April. She had ready to go. Boom. Right here. Right here. God's word. The church in Antioch, they received the testimony of Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas. And they got a letter from the church leaders in Jerusalem. The decision was unanimous. And that was because it was based on the word of God. And that's because, as verse 28 said, it was directed by the Holy Ghost when they were debating this. Not only does truth communicate defeat the danger from false doctrine, it also brings peace and joy. And you have a consolation from truth. Verses 30 to 31. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, the church got together. They delivered to them the epistle, that letter that was sent and this is the reaction of the church in Antioch, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. They were like, praise the Lord. They're not going haywire down there. <laughs> Just a few of them, <laughs> right? And we're, we're, they're getting that corrected. If we will depend on God's word to guide us away from false teaching, you're going to have peace, consolation. You have joy. You'll have a unity with each other. The word of God is how we all came to faith in Jesus Christ. It is how we continue in faith in Christ. Um, it's how we avoid falling prey to Satan's lies and deception. We have to know it. We have to apply it. <laughs> um, there's no other way to safely and successfully follow Jesus Christ. There's no other way to live in consolation and joy and peace, a peace that passes all understanding. That is how important the objective truth of God's word is for us. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mean, can you look back to a point in time in your life when, when you stopped trying to earn his favor? You stopped putting works where they didn't belong and you confessed your sin to God in prayer and you said, Jesus, I'm trusting only in who you are and what you've done for me to save me from my sins. If you've never done that, I invite you to do that this morning. Do it right now, even as I'm talking. And come tell me about it at some point. We'll have a time of invitation in just a moment. But um, if you've got questions about what that means on the back of our bulletin, on our website, it talks about what it means to be saved. Christian, you, you know that. You, I, I was, it was on this day. or I remember I was this many years old. and I was in this church service and I heard the gospel preached and I gave my life to Christ. Christian, what we read about this morning, it's not a one-time occurrence. <laughs> because all day long... Every day, false teaching is, is headed for you. Lies from the devil coming your way nonstop. It's like a continuous barrage. How are you going to stay faithful? How are you going to differentiate between what is true and what is false? Where can you go to know that you have the truth that's going to lead you the right way? Right here. You've got it here. I believe you've got it here. I pray that would always be the case. But here's a question. Are you availing yourself of these gifts of grace from God? His word, coming together to study his word, 
so you can be guided away from deceit and so you can live in truth. You can live with consolation like they had in verse 31. And we talked just a little bit about deference here. So the question is, is the love that I have for other Christians, is it so like the love of Jesus Christ for me that I'm willing to defer, I'm willing to lay down my rights to do this or or that to make sure that another brother or sister in Christ will grow in their relationship with the Lord. And if that's not the case, if it hasn't been, or if you just feel led by the Lord to commit to do that this morning, I invite you to do that. As Tommy comes and leads us in a time of invitation, however the Holy Spirit has used the word of God this morning to call you to respond, I just ask that you'd obey.